hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. My name is Jeff Bruce. I'm one of the pastors here. And today, I'm joined by a man who needs no introduction. <laughs> and so we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Dad, <laughs> co-pastor, how are you today? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yeah, Dad, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas at Creekside. Dad, are you excited about Christmas, the, the holiday season? I am so excited. <laughs> I, can, I can tell. I'm, just, uh, I'm jittery all over. Just can't wait to open those gifts. Wow. And then pay for the gifts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just, we're just telling our kids this year that our gifts are on a freight ship somewhere in the Pacific, so there won't be a Christmas. Sorry. Christmas in July. Yeah, Christmas in July. So That's funny. Well, today we're going to continue our series on the habits of healthy community. God's plan has always been to save a people for himself. He told Abraham, I will make you a nation. He told Israel, you are a kingdom of priests, a community that represents God to the world. And Jesus said to his followers, those who follow me are my mother, sisters, and brothers. So God's redemptive purpose has always been to build a people for himself, and it is this people, as they live their life together, that displays God's character, that becomes like Christ, that advances God's mission. And what that means very practically is that if you want to glorify God, if you want to become like Jesus, if you want to advance God's mission on the earth, you need other believers. In fact, following Jesus isn't even comprehensible apart from the community he mm. creates. And for that reason, it's very important that we get our relationships with each other right. And that's why we're asking this question, what does healthy community look like? Paul gives us a great blueprint for a healthy community in Romans 12, a, a series of imperatives of what the church will look like when we are really transformed by the gospel together. So we are looking at each of these commands and asking, what does the church look like when we're living these out? We've looked at a whole bunch. I think this is the ninth installment of our series. Today we're looking at Romans 12, 15. Paul says this very simply, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, Dad, according to Paul, a healthy community is an empathetic community. What do you think about that? Well, I think two men talking about empathy is like two wolves feeling sympathy for sheep. <laughs> but no, I it's think... It's probably the worst analogy you could have used for a podcast hosted by pastors. I know, I know. Uh, I'm just being realistic. I don't there. think we can recover from that analogy, Dan. That is... Uh, I, I, yeah, Max is saying, cut it, kill the podcast now. So yeah, so you're saying if you were going to stereotype that, that men tend to have a more difficult time connecting to the emotional state of others. I would say that I have more difficult time. Okay. <laughs> I will, I'll just talk, I can't talk about men, but I can talk about myself. Right. I mean, empathy is not on my strong hmm. list of strong characteristics, yeah. but it, it really is, I think, the ability to feel what other people feel. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the polar opposite of self-centeredness, or hmm. self-focus. Yeah. Um, just being able to rejoice when other people rejoice or be sad when other people are sad because we're able to focus on others rather than being consumed with ourselves. 
Yeah. And so I think really empathy at, at its root is thinking about others more than you think about yourself. Right. And applying that to their emotional state. Yeah. And what are they feeling right now? Yeah. And not just what am I feeling right exactly. now? And what would it feel like uh, <laughs> to be in their shoes? Yeah. Right yeah. now. Yeah, that's good. You know, I related this back to just everything Paul says about a, a koinonia life, a shared, a participatory life. And if we have a shared life in Christ, <laughs> shared resources, we share in suffering. There's all of these sharing ideas in the New Testament. Sharing in each other's emotions to some level is part of that shared life in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think, um, how do you think Jesus exemplifies empathy? Well, I think of in the Gospels, I think someone said the most common reaction of Jesus in the Gospels is that he feels compassion. Mm. Mm. That's good. He feels a lot of things. He'll feel anger. Yeah. Yeah. He'll feel bewilderment. Uh, he'll feel grief, yeah. joy. But compassion seems to be Jesus' natural response to people in suffering and pain. Yeah, no, that's good. And uh, compassion, sympathy, um, the, that word has kind of a negative connotation now, but the, the translation from the Greek, sympathy is a great word. It is, it is suffering with. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what, what sympathy is, is to enter into the suffering of another. Um, and so I think Jesus, you know, he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. He seemed to have an acute awareness, not just of people's material needs, but of how they felt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I um, I just thought, you know, the, the story of Lazarus, and and when Jesus meets Mary and Mary is weeping, yeah. Even though Jesus knows that this is just a temporary situation, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He he knows what is going to happen. He still weeps along with with Mary. Right. And and feels her and and all everybody else their sorrow at the same time, and uh, it reminded me of of Hebrews four fifteen in in right. the I like the way the King James puts it. It says, uh, "For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin." That Jesus becomes one of us. Right takes on our weaknesses, our limitations, and our temptations, so he knows exactly how we feel. Right. Um, and so he is not a God that is untouched by all the things that, that touch us. Yeah, and I think th- this is where our theology of Christmas <laughs> actually comes in, that the incarnation, God becoming a human, is what ensures for us that we have a sympathetic high priest yeah. in heaven, a compassionate high priest, is that Jesus did not um, lose his humanity after his earthly ministry. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I I forget which Puritan said it, but it's just an astonishing thought. But when you see Christ um, attending to the weak, having compassion on the downtrodden in the Gospels, that is the glorified Christ's posture still. Mm. Yeah. toward his people because he still has a body. Yeah. Yeah. And and the knowledge of what it's like to be in those situations. And so yeah. it's uh it's such a balm yeah. <laughs> to know that when you come to Christ, uh he he resonates with you. Right. 
on that level. And and the analogy I've often used, um, which I stole because every good analogy is stolen, but uh, sympathetic resonance, you know, that phenomenon in music, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you play a note on one piano, for instance, if you played a, a, a C and then you had two grand pianos in a room, the C on the other piano would vibrate just mm -hmm. slightly, um, right? Because they're on the same wavelength. Yeah. And on the same frequency, you can see the same thing when you're tuning guitar and you you, know, you play a guitar string and you have the same note on another string, it'll resonate. And depending on how in tune the frequencies are, right, it'll resonate more strongly. But this idea that Jesus has the kind of resonance with us, a kind of sympathetic resonance, yeah. where when there is pain hmm. in us, something resonates within Jesus' human nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good stolen analogy. Yeah. And, uh, well, thank you, David Platt, yeah. who stole it from someone else. <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, for giving That's me great. that analogy. I just, I think, just some of the the fact that Jesus always heals people up close, rather than from a distance. The the fact that that he reaches out and touches the leper, who has not been touched probably for years and years and years, yeah. and yet, and so it's not just he doesn't keep his distance. He gets as close as possible. He. Yeah. He, when Jairus's daughter dies, he just takes Jairus and his wife and two of his disciples and sends everybody away and, and heals that little girl and raises her from the dead. It's very personal. And when the woman who tries to touch him privately so, right. so that she can get healed, but she doesn't want anybody to know, he stops and he wants to talk to her. He wants to hear the whole story of, of her illness of what was it, 18 years. She, yep. was, she, was, she was ill. Um, or mm -hmm. maybe maybe that was the twelve years, but anyway, yeah. no, I hunched just, over is eighteen, I think. Everybody, twelve years is the yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it was just, you know, it's just the fact that he stopped. He's on the in a hurry to get to Jairus's house because right. the the daughter's about to die, but he stops and gets close to this woman and hears her whole story right. and all the doctors that failed her and everything else like that. She just pours out because he's interested in her. And so, to me, Jesus is the great example of empathy. Yeah. I, and it's interesting to think, yeah, Jesus, he does heal remotely sometimes, right? <laughs> he can heal from afar. Well, why wouldn't he do that more often? And I think the, the most natural answer is, well, he didn't want to. He actually is the kind of Savior who wants to draw near yeah. to those in pain. Yeah, the, the, That's what is actually natural to him, is that he is gentle and lowly, humble in heart, exactly. uh, which means he's accessible to those who are um, in pain. And and, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I think that's, I've got a lot more thoughts on empathy because it's such a buzzword in our, our uh, current milieu here. Yeah. But I, I guess my question for you is, which of these do you find more difficult, rejoicing with those who rejoice or weeping with those who weep? It's a good question. I think it's probably more difficult for me to weep with those who weep. Hmm. And, I've, and I've had a hard time with people who have just lost a loved one because I've, I've felt that I had to say something to make it better. Um, and I just didn't know what to say. And so I tended to retreat from that um, situation. And I remember when a good friend of mine's son died, college-age college age son died, and really all I could do was just sit there and be there with him. That was all all I could. And I began to realize that's what people need is they don't yeah. need an answer. They don't need a, a solution or advice. They just need you to be there with them and be feeling the same thing with them. 
And that was a that was a breakthrough for me because mm. I I I began to realize that emotion doesn't need words. It just needs to commonality. It needs to feel like you're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for people probably like you and myself <laughs> who who love to conceptualize, at least I do. Yeah. I, I love to speak for myself. I love to conceptualize problems and, and deal with them in the abstract. Yeah. When you when you get something that concrete and visceral, um, and and that escapes any easy explanation or answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a level of dying to yourself to just sit with them in their grief. Yeah. And yeah. all they need to know is that they're not alone. Exactly. That that's it. How about for you? Which of these two is diff- more difficult for you? Ah, they're both hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 the, the reason I asked is, is John Chrysostom actually says that rejoice with those who rejoice comes first because it's harder. Hmm. And, and his thesis was that because uh, envy and competition are so natural and endemic to the human condition <laughs> that, that it is most unnatural to rejoice at someone else's success. Yeah. Uh, we've all been through hard things. We've all gotten kicked in the teeth. So at some level, we can all go, ah, oh, yeah, that's hard to go through. That would be tough. But when someone really wins in life and succeeds in a way we want to succeed, it's an even greater death to self to say, I'm so happy that you succeeded and I did not, you know, even though I did not. So um, I, I think if last Sunday I would have had a Seahawk fan watching the, the game <laughs> with me, I would not have been able to rejoice with those who rejoice. <laughs> well, they would have been in sin because they were rooting for the Seahawks. So, uh, yeah, you know, there are boundaries around our uh, empathy, yeah, right? Yeah, we right. have to have moral purity. In that's the true. Of, so Lo- that, loved, know, love does, does not, not rejoice, rejoice with evil. evil. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but I, I do find that I, it's, a, it's a great gut check for me um, to say, there are things that are worthy of celebration in other believers' lives in particular, and yeah. I should be the first yes. to celebrate them because they're an evidence of God's work in their life, yeah. that here's what God is doing through them. And the, where, the gut check for me is, what is my gut response when things go well for another pastor? Yeah, that's good. It, it, you know, when their church is growing, when they're reaching lost people— and if it's just this internal, why am I not doing that? Why are we not accomplishing that? Why? Well, then I'm not doing this. I'm actually disobeying this right. command, and I've lost perspective on the big picture, yeah. that this is a win for the kingdom of God, yeah. that this is happening. And same I should team. be... Same team. And often, perversely, I uh, you almost get a sense of joy sometimes when you hear about struggles in another church or something, because you think, oh, well, we're doing well. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's like, we didn't do that. Yeah, what, we didn't do that. Yeah, we're not the kind of church that would do that. And, yeah. and, and that's, um, that's a really twisted way of thinking yeah. rather than grieving yeah. over, over those things. I, and I think the, uh, besides competition, it's just, for me, I have such a problem-solving mentality that when somebody is rejoicing, I just check them off and say, oh, good, well, there's no problem to solve there. I can move on. <laughs> Rather than saying that they need for me right. to participate and be excited about right. what they've done. Yeah. Why do you think developing the habit of empathy is essential for authentic Christian community? Yeah, do people really believe that you love them? if you can't enter their emotional state at yeah. some level. Yeah. 
Yeah. No matter how much good advice you give them, no matter how much you serve them with acts of kindness, if you seem to be unaffected by what's happening in their lives. Now, now to be clear, like there are <laughs> neurological factors here, right? I mean, some people have a neurological, you know, inability to show empathy in certain ways, right? Or it's going to be much more, take much more work. I'm just thinking of, of someone um, on, on the spectrum of autism or something like that, right? Where there are, there are like just physiological, biological factors that, that might make it. But, but in general, I would say the effort to place tag and try to get those shoes is just it's so hard to connect with people if you don't have that at some yeah, level. Yeah. Uh, because you, you, there's no there's no shared sense of reality, I think, if, if we're not reacting to situations in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it seems that, that empathy is in short supply in our culture today um, because people are so self-involved. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, I mean, you just think about conversations you have with people, and it's pretty much people talking about themselves and letting you listen in. I mean, there's very few actual conversations where people, there's a give and take and people are saying, well, how, asking questions and, right. and let alone feeling with each other. Yeah. But isn't that so ironic? Because I think empathy is like the chief is hailed as the chief virtue in our culture in many ways, right? That honoring people's lived experience and emotions and all that are like the thing we're supposed to do. But I think what it, because we're such a balkanized tribal society, it's having empathy for the right people. Oh yeah. Right. It is what it, 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 having empathy for the people who are on my team. Yeah. And I, I think that's the great danger is, is that, you know, you can, you can just have empathy for a certain kind of person who advances your kinds of interests. Right. So, so for instance, in a, if I hear about something happening in a church, I will empathize with the leader in the situation almost instinctively. Yeah. Because I'm in that situation. I can put myself in their shoes more easily. Yeah. And yeah. so I know my own tendency will be to view them in a far more positive light. And then the, you know, alleged victim potentially in a more negative light, unless right. I really do the hard work of entering in and seeing it from each person's yeah. perspective. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and and so I agree, empathy is in short supply, but that's because empathy is hard work. It is. It's rare. It's well. It, it is. It is the opposite of self centeredness. Right. And, yeah. And we are all naturally self centered. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, any thoughts about how to do? I think empathy is a a habit to develop and develop mm. through practice. Um, and, yeah. And uh, because what. What Paul says here, these are actions. These aren't just feelings. These are actions. Rejoice. Right. These are those, commands. Yeah, commands. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep right. with those who weep. This, this is stuff you choose to do. So what kind of habits, how do you develop the habit of empathy? Hmm. <laughs> Prayer. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a fruit of the Spirit to be patient and gentle and the ability to um, enter into someone's experience, I, I, I think, especially when it comes to other believers and having a, a special concern for their plight in some way, right, where you can enter in in this way, I think it's something the Spirit of God has to create in us. I, I, to, I think there are people who are more naturally empaths, right? But, but, but to really, it's a dying to self, 
to do mm. this. And so you need the whole, I, I think it's prayer, the Holy Spirit. I think other skills to develop to be empathetic, I mean, shutting up would be one. <laughs> that yeah. I think of the barriers to empathy. Yeah. And one is, is just um, not listening carefully, not looking at people and reading, trying to read their emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, drawing conclusions about their situation and trying to come up with solutions when yeah. they're not asking for that. Yeah. Um, and then I think mirroring to people when you can hmm. to say, that sounds like it was really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I- I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. And um, Randy Newman, it, it's not a book about empathy. It's a book about evangelism, but he made a great point just in talking to other people. He said, you respond to facts with facts and feelings with feelings. That's good. That's really good. And, and, and so when, when people are expressing an emotion, do your best to withhold um, judgment, but try as best you can to mirror the emotion. Yeah. Now, if they start making judgments about other people, there, there, there are limits to empathy. And I think that's important in this conversation to say, right? And I'm, I'm going a little far afield here, but empathy isn't an unqualified good. Yeah. Right. People can feel things about a situation and make judgments based on their feelings, and the judgments can be wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We even see this confusion in language, right, sometimes, where it's, I feel sad that happened, or I'm pained, turns into, I feel like you've never loved me or cared about me. And it's like, well, that's not a feeling. That's a judgment. Yeah. Right? And if you make that a feeling, then it's this inviolate thing that, that's impossible to, to analyze. Yeah. Right? So I think it's important to make distinctions here. That you, when you enter into someone's emotional state, you do your best to take place and, and grieve where you can grieve and rejoice where you can rejoice. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their perspective yeah. in, on life in total when they're suffering. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when, whenever you can, to say, okay, what feeling they're expressing? What do I need to mirror back to them to show that I'm connecting with yeah. them? Yeah. And I'm horrible at doing that. Yeah. Um, I am too. I, I think for me, um, the thing is I need to listen for emotion yeah. and not just for information because I, I focus on information. I focus on the facts and, and, and leave it there um, rather than also saying, gosh, what was it like to feel that? Right. What was that? Cause if a person is, is non-emotional right. as they are explaining, and most of the conversations I have are not emotional conversations. Mm-hmm. There's just, factual conversations and so i completely overlook the question well i wonder how how this person is actually feeling about this they're there and i'm just believing the immediate communication which is non-emotional that they must not feel that bad about that the fact that their dad just died yesterday or or whatever it happens to be rather than than really hearing well what's the emotional state behind this and then being curious and not interrogating them, but be curious enough to, to draw them out about how did that feel? How did that affect you? Right. Things like that. And then taking the next step to think about times I've felt that same way right. um, so that I can relate to them more emotionally, right. whether I state that or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a habit, I think often it's wise to refrain from, making comparisons um, yeah. as we try to enter into someone's suffering. You know, when someone suffers a loss, saying, oh, I know what that's like because I lost this person, right? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to saying, wow, that is so hard. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. It, 
because then it directs it back on you. Yeah, exactly. It's not you. And, and now, you know, I went through that. And in fact, it was even worse than that. And man, yeah. I, you know, I, I yeah. you know, here's how bad it was for me. It's like, oh, thanks. You know, says yeah. the sufferer. So, yeah. um, you know, I think of Job's words to his friends that you were miserable comforters. Yes. <laughs> and and they know, were. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm lying open with a wound and you all came with salt packets to just dump it in here. Yeah. Right. And yeah. um, I think so often when we have people in pain, um, you know, there's such a tendency to want to solve that that oh. uh, that, that it just it, it, it prevents us from being of any help. Absolutely. So I, I think the words, uh, I love you. I, I care about you. I'm sorry this is happening. I'm praying for you. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, are, are the way to go. And um, yeah, and then I think in terms of rejoicing with those who rejoice, um, just looking for things that people are excited about and getting excited about them too. Yes. And I yes. think often in conversations, we, you know, I miss those things. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it really is doing what Jesus did, mm-hmm. which was leaving heaven, leaving all the blessings, all the pleasure, all the safety he had, and entering our situation totally right. for our good. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, to a much lesser degree, have to enter other people's situations for their good. Right. And get our eyes off ourselves and what we're thinking about today and what's important to us today and find out what's important to them. Yeah. It's good. It's it's going to feel unnatural a lot of times because um, there's a vulnerability in it to, to enter into someone else's pain or suffering and just um, sit in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or, in, or in their joy. Or in their joy. Yeah. And, and be excited with them for things in their life. Um, yeah. But no, I think it is it is absolutely key to to love and to keeping love fervent. And, and what I found is, you know, you can't. I I relate it back to conflict a little bit, but un, until you can acknowledge what the person has experienced and what it would have felt like to be in that situation. It's really hard to work through issues yeah. when there's a disagreement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Until you say, "Yeah, you know, when I said that, I can see why you would have thought da 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 da, da and why you would have felt this way." And yeah. that makes a lot of sense now. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, that helps me to see things from your perspective. Yeah. And just making that acknowledgement helps you to deal with whatever material <laughs> issues there are. Yeah. Um, because you see, I don't think you're a crazy person. I don't think you're, yeah. you know, you've lost your mind that I'm, I, I, I'm a hundred percent right. And you're a hundred percent wrong or anything like that. So, yeah. Which is why quick apologies and falling on your sword doesn't always work. Um, because unless a person understands <laughs> that you understand, right. Um, just, yeah. we haven't resolved the issue. We haven't resolved the issue. Yet. Yeah. And we haven't resolved at an emotional level. Exactly. Of, of knowing what the feelings in play were here, why we felt that way. Yeah. Okay, now we can move on. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, and no, I, as an inveterate quick apologizer, because <laughs> it's, uh, I realize now as I get older that it's really, um, can't we just make this go away? Exactly. <laughs> is the quick apology. It's yeah. just like, I'd, I'd rather not dwell on this. So let's Sorry. Just, sorry. Oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, well, that's good, Dad. And, um, you know, I, uh, yeah. I, I think it's uh, it's it's a convicting thing because I got to work on it. Any other thoughts? 
I got to work on it too. Yep. I'm I'm really bad at this. Yep. And uh, yeah. So, well, listeners, thanks. Hope uh, you learned something from a few wolves that are trying to become <laughs> less wolf-like. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, but appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll be back again soon. <laughs>